Welcome to Global Girl Squad. Welcome back to Global Girl Squad. This is the second of a two-part episode dedicated to Planned Parenthood to raise funds. I've created an Everyday Hero page to give back to an organization that changed my life in November of 2014. Please go back and listen to the first installment of this two-part episode to hear the story of how they did so and click the link to donate so that the doors to this amazing organization stay open no matter what. In today's episode, I will focus on five facts surrounding Planned Parenthood and abortion that I've learned as a member of the Developing Leaders Program so that you too can continue the fight for women's reproductive rights and health in your various cities and communities. For fact one, we will focus on Planned Parenthood, who they are, and what they factually do. Planned Parenthood Federation of America is a leading provider of high-quality, affordable health care for women, men, and children, and it is the largest provider of reproductive health services in the nation. PP opened its doors over 100 years ago, now serving about 4.7 million each year in over 700 affiliated health centers across the U.S. Here are some of the stats. 80% of patients are above the age of 20, 79% have incomes at or below the federal poverty level, and the percentage of male patients rose about 99% in the 10 years between 2002 and 2012. But what do they do? Prevention is the cornerstone of PP services. Here is a percentage breakdown of patient services. 35% goes towards contraception. 34% goes towards STD slash STI testing treatment, being sexually transmitted diseases, sexually transmitted infections, testing and treatments. 17% goes towards cancer screening, such as breast and cervical. 11% goes towards specific and miscellaneous health services, including high blood pressure testing, anemia, and diabetes. And the most controversial of all, 3%, goes towards abortion services. Yes, 3% not 100%. It is nearly the least practiced of services at PPE, period. For fact two, we will focus on abortion, its definition, the types, and other important information. Abortion is defined as the ending of a pregnancy by removing a fetus or embryo before it can survive outside of the uterus. The word abortion is often only used to cover those that are induced, but the word abortion is also applicable when a pregnancy is ended within the uterus spontaneously, which is also called a miscarriage. Miscarriages are extremely common, and it is estimated that between 25 to 50% of all conceptions spontaneously abort very early on, often without many women even knowing that they were pregnant in the first place. Women may recognize little to no differences regarding this experience from their normal menstruation cycles with anything from a heavier period to slight nausea, requiring no medical intervention whatsoever. So when categorizing abortions, they either fall into the category of those that are spontaneous in nature called miscarriages, are those that are facilitated called induced miscarriages, and this is the area of the most contention. Abortions allowed by law and carried out in the developing world by organizations like Planned Parenthood are one of the safest procedures to be done. In fact, abortions are safer than childbirth with a mortality rate 10 times lower, or approximately one death for every 167,000 from complications versus one for every 11,000 childbirths. So plainly stated, the risk of a woman dying after childbirth is 10 times greater than that after an abortion. There are two types of induced abortion procedures. The first type is medical abortion, which is what is often referred to as the pill method. This is not the same thing as actual birth control taken on a daily basis, 
nor is it the same thing as a morning after pill. Again, this is not the same thing as birth control or the plan B pill. The second type is the surgical procedure. It is a suction or vacuum aspiration performed up to 15 weeks gestation. Also, just because the word surgical is used does not mean that there is any cutting. Women are given anesthesia, but there's absolutely no cutting during a surgical abortion. The word surgical is used because instruments are entering the body cavity. For fact number three, we'll focus on the intersection of Planned Parenthood and abortion, specifically the big lie that taxpayer money goes to abortion. So let's break down where the money actually comes from. PP recorded about $530 million in government funding last year, $390 million in private, $305 in non-governmental services, and $80 million in miscellaneous. Government funding only covers about 40% of PP's $1.3 billion revenue through two programs. The first of the two is Medicaid, the healthcare program targeted at lower-income citizens. The second is Title X, signed into law in 1970 by conservative President Nixon as a part of the Public Service Act. It is the only federal grant program dedicated solely to providing clients with comprehensive family planning and related preventative health care services and designed to prioritize low- to mid-income families and uninsured, including those ineligible for Medicaid who might not otherwise have access to necessary health care services. Title X funds are allocated to any clinic in the U.S. that provides family planning services to the aforementioned group of citizens. Medicaid uses federal and state funds while Title X is federal. States receive 90% reimbursement on things such as Medicaid family planning spending. So when the GOP talks about defunding Planned Parenthood, they mean cutting off Title X or federal money, which doesn't stop states from using their funds how they choose. So let me explain why no matter how many times it is said, taxpayer dollars are not going towards abortions. Everyone knows about the 1973 Roe v. Wade decision that affirmed a woman's right to choose life, abortion, or adoption. But even fewer people know what the Hyde Amendment is. Everyone really needs to know what the Hyde Amendment is So the next time anyone gets on TV and wants to hit everyone with their alternative facts, formerly known as lies, you can call them out on it. So what is the Hyde Amendment? Something the GOP keeps pretending as if their misogynistic, pussy-grabbing great-uncles didn't pass in 1977, preventing taxpayer money from funding abortions. Four years after women were granted the right to make decisions for their damn selves via Roe v. Wade, this amendment was passed stipulating that Medicaid funds could only be used to end pregnancy strictly in the cases of rape, incest, or to protect the life of the mother. 17 states have chosen to expand the parameters to cases they classify as medically necessary, but even in those states, they are not covered federally, so they must cover those costs alone. This was true even here in D.C. up until 2011 when Congress banned the district from using its own funds to pay for abortion. You ask, how is that possible? This is yet another reason why D.C. is striving for statehood. Because for us, the House of Appropriation writes bills, including the Financial Services and General Government Bill. In other cities, mayors control their own bills and therefore budgets. So, because Congress writes the bills, D.C. is subject to their will. And because the Hyde Amendment unfairly restricts federal use of Medicaid funds for abortion services across the 50 states and in D.C., this includes prohibiting women here in D.C. access to all possible reproductive and abortion health care services. That is why contributions and fundraisers, both big and small, such as the one I'm asking for with these special podcast episodes, are so important to making sure that all safe healthcare options are available to women. Their crusade to defund Planned Parenthood to end abortions is thoughtless. Besides the fact that only 3% of what Planned Parenthood does are abortion services, cutting Title X funding would end the 97% of services that PP provides that are deemed moral, such as cancer screening, pap smears, STD slash STI testing and treatment, and sex education to prevent the so-called sin of abortion, according to pro-birthers. 
The crusade to defund Planned Parenthood is thoughtless for two reasons. Reason number one is that Title X is a federal program that exists to solely support the low-income and uninsured population, about 5.2 million people a year. But surprise, surprise, Congress has never actually appropriated enough money to take care of these millions who need publicly funded family planning care services, which means that there are always more patients than subsidies or funds available. In fact, they've been steadily cutting this budget since 2011. So attacking Title X funding to end abortions, even though it is already explicitly excluded by the Hyde Amendment, could actually increase the incidence of abortions, meaning unsafe abortions. PP opponents fail to realize that part of family planning services is preventing pregnancies through sex education, which prevents unintended births and abortions. So without the funding of the 97% of what PP does, you can't stop the 3% of activity that they hate so much and aren't paying for in the first place, prevented by the Hyde Amendment. Instead, women seeking abortions may end up choosing out of the few available, including the dangerous, which may prove to be the opposite of pro-life in the end. Reason number two is the truth about Title X funding, which is that it is designed to help with costs, not fully cover them. For example, a typical family planning visit costs about $200. Once you add up the cost of the exams, tests, and contraception, Medicaid will only reimburse $20, which leaves the family planning program to make up the difference, not Title X, or taxpayer dollars. Again, not Title X or your taxpayer dollars. That was a long one, so let's move to fact number four. Fact number four is that the fight to keep the doors of Planned Parenthood open is not only a fight for women. Two-thirds of its attendees rely on Medicaid to pay for their care. If it is defunded, patients will have to pay out of their pockets. Again, they won't be defunding abortions as federal tax dollars already do not go towards abortion services in the first place, but it will affect people who do not have anywhere else to go for assistance, including men. Between 2002 and 2012, PP saw a 99% increase in male clients. 23% of services PP provides for men are HIV testing, 30% for gonorrhea, and 30% for chlamydia, along with cancer screening treatments for ED or erectile dysfunction, jock itch, and the surgery that will have you RSVPing, not attending, or more sensory invite, being a vasectomy. For the fifth and final fact, I would like to tackle the segment by addressing some of the reasons slash myths surrounding the why and who of abortions. One of the myths or reasons surrounding why women get abortions that I often hear is that it is used as birth control. This is also one of the dumber assertions. Logically, abortions are a lot harder to access than contraception because people, like the pro-birthers who keep closing clinics, especially in rural areas, force women to travel 100 miles for services, have enacted the Hyde Amendment, and some states, such as Michigan, have even gone further by passing laws that ban the use of even private health insurance for abortion services. Besides the fact that half of the women who have abortions report using contraception during the same month as they have become pregnant. A second myth or reason is that women who have abortions will suffer mental illness afterwards. Wow. Now, while mixed emotions post-procedure are common, studies have shown that over 95% still feel that they have ultimately made the right decision. Women who have abortions are no more likely to experience mental illness than women who carry their pregnancies to term. These feelings are common and still not bad to have after an abortion, but no matter how buzzy a term like post-abortion syndrome sounds, it doesn't exist, and that is truly the myth. A third myth-slash-reason is that only women who do not have children have abortions because if they did, then they wouldn't be able to go through with the procedure. False. In a study done by the Guttmacher Institute in late 2008, found that 61% of women who had abortions were mothers, with 34% already having two or more children. Furthermore, these percentages increased during the following year, 
due to the 2009 financial crisis. In fact, mothers more often had abortions to protect the quality of life of the children they already had, often citing very practical financial reasons for not wanting to raise another child, which is something any parent, male or female, and even adults who have made the totally legit decision not to have any children should be able to understand. But what about women who are childless and have an abortion? Aren't they just selfish and reckless, promiscuous hussies? The simple answer is absolutely not. But when, and until we achieve gender equality in policy, practice, and thought, women will, for the most part, be valued as sex objects and baby-making machines by society at large, when in reality, and for myth slash reason number four, I have to ask, who really decides when someone becomes a mother? Mothers that carry their pregnancy to term are said to experience something called the nesting instinct. This instinct occurs in animals and even in some insects, but in humans, it is caused by the release of the hormone estradiol, already present in the female body as it is essential for the development and maintenance of the female reproductive tissues, including the breast, uterus, and vagina during puberty, adulthood, and pregnancy. This is the urge in pregnant animals to prepare a home for the baby's arrival. But here's the thing about this instinct. It can start as early as a couple of weeks to the fifth month of pregnancy, or as late as the eighth month to just before the onset of labor, or finally, not occur at all. Women who have abortions are often called baby killers, when a baby is technically a human that has been born, making it an autonomous, independent being. Up until then, for the GOP congressmen who can't get their heads and hands away from women's fancy part, it is a fetus, which in its state is a part of the woman carrying it, because it cannot survive outside of her during gestation. The fetus is a woman, the woman is a fetus, and they are one. So when a woman has an abortion, she is removing a part of her own body. She is not removing an independent being, so she is not committing infanticide. She is not committing murder. She is not a baby killer. It may seem callous to describe abortion in this manner, but this is not my opinion. These are just the facts which I am sharing to combat the regurgitated lies used to stigmatize women who have had abortions. The truth is that it is absurd to paint any woman who has an abortion as less than anyone else because us, the 1.2 million women a year who have abortions, all do so for very different reasons. Whether it's because you take a good look at your life and realize that your current situation wouldn't be able to give the baby the kind of life that assures that it will thrive, whether for financial reasons, as a single parent, or parent to other children, whether you are a victim of rape or incest, whether you use birth control that fails in the same month that you become pregnant, whether the fetus has conditions that endanger your life or health, or whether you have tried for years to get pregnant, finally do, only to find out that the, your baby would be born with severe birth defects, medical problems, while in your second trimester. Opponents fail to understand that the decision to have an abortion is not one that's taken lightly, that it is hard to experience the miracle, the gift of your delicate body, your celebrated body, your powerful body, your body, yours and yours alone, creating life beyond your own. But as you realize yourself as a mother, that the first most mature, gut-wrenching, practical, selfless, and best decision and thing that you could do for the soul-growing side of your body is not to bring it into the world. That this may be the hardest decision that you have made, but you know with 100% of your being that it is the right one. Personally, there isn't a day that goes by especially as a member of Planned Parenthood's Developing Leaders Program, that I forget about the child that I gave up. I still have the sonogram, and on some days, it makes me sad. But every day, I know that I have made the right decision, and I do not regret it. I do not regret it. I may not be a mother now or ever in the future, but if I should ever take on one of the hardest jobs on the planet, which is being a parent, 
the baby I gave up will always be my first. For the benediction of this last installment of my two-part episode on Planned Parenthood, I will leave you with the sermon CEO Cecile Richards delivered at the Women's March a couple Saturdays ago here in D.C. Visit Global Girl Squad Maine's Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash Maine and Global Girl Squad the series at www.facebook.com forward slash series. For details, so apply for our vacant positions if you're interested. Follow us on Twitter at GGSquadMaine and at GGSquadTheSeries to stay in the loop with updates as we move towards our launch on February 15th. If you want, you can follow me at FirstGenMiddleWoman on Twitter. And please remember to click the link to donate to Planned Parenthood. I look forward to you joining the Global Girl Squad officially when we launch. Until then, be nasty or be nasty about it. to thank generations of organizers and troublemakers and hellraisers who formed secret sisterhoods, who opened Planned Parenthood health centers in their communities and demanded the right to control their own bodies. And today we're here to deliver a message. We're not going to take this lying down. And we will not go back. For the majority of people in this country, Planned Parenthood is not the problem, we're the solution. We've been part of the American country, the fabric of America for a hundred years, and my pledge today is our doors stay open. Now is the time for us to link arms together for the right of working women to earn a living wage for the right of immigrant families to live without fear, for the right of mothers everywhere to raise families, uh, with, to, to raise families in safe communities with clean air and clean drinking water, including in Flint, Michigan. And we're here for the right to live openly no matter who you are or who you love, no matter what. And you better believe we're here to fight for reproductive rights, including access to safe and legal abortion. Because to expand on a historic quote by my heroine and friend Hillary Clinton, a woman who knows a little something about never giving up, reproductive rights are human rights. Theme music by Aaron Leader. Audio engineering by Tim Schwartz and Carl Moore. Research and narration for this episode done by me, Laura Pupade.